Before I go to Dave McCarthy and we look at finance uh, today, uh, we're always giving out about the hospital and we've got a comment in, so we have in the last couple of minutes. Keith, I just want to leave a comment uh, to praise the University Hospital Galway and all the staff in it. I was there last week and received the most excellent care necessary. I know there's an awful lot of uh, people, this caller said, uh, out there today and giving giving out about it, uh, but the staff and the hospital itself were just excellent and I want to commend each and every one of them from there. So there you go. Dave McCarthy joins me. Dave, morning to you. How are you today? Very well, Keith. Now, we're looking at um, financial questions which you got in, um, and one of them is to do with mortgage lenders relaxing lending criteria, and we have some new people come into the market as well. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, recently we're seeing kind of a more, much more relaxed criteria beginning to develop from lenders. This is, you know, a high time after we've seen years and years of probably very harsh uh, criteria attached to the qualification for mortgages. For example, MOCO, which was the new Austrian um, control lender that we mentioned a few weeks ago, they're now going to allow mortgages up to the age of 80. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I don't want to be cynical. Who I, I, wants it? I read about that, but I mean, who who in their right mind? Well, it's not it? really that they would intentionally do it. Some people out there have found for a variety of reasons that financially over the years, um, maybe coming out of the financial downturn and all sorts of things that have happened, was that basically they won't be in a position to probably pay off their mortgage as they would have wanted to originally and maybe are in arrears to some extent. Look, it's an option for people who maybe find themselves kind of trapped well, in an older stage of life. Okay, but as a business model, when I heard this first off, I thought to myself, okay, so today Dave McCarthy signs up somebody um, who's, four, say, 35 years of age, uh, but 45 years later... But remember one thing, he doesn't have to stick with that mortgage for 45 years. Because no, he doesn't. But for, as a business model, though, how do you make money over 40? Over, over oh, don't, look, don't, don't concern yourself with that one. These lenders know exactly what they're doing and how they're making money. So uh, they're making money. Mark my words on that, okay? Um, the main thing I suppose people need to know is that that type of facility is available. And then ICS have kind of relaxed some of their conditions as well. Um, they're now allowing first-time buyers up to four times salary, which is up from 2.5 times, which is certainly a welcome move. Um, existing customers can also avail, which is an interesting, of equity release loan, up to the value of 90% for things like home improvements, education fees, medical expenses, and some other areas. Again, that was kind of something that would, lenders would have shied away from giving um, uh, loans for, and they're also making it easier for public sector employees to qualify mm. for, for mortgages. And the, there are other lenders out there now following the same path. Um, you know, these won't be the only ones, but I think it's a welcome development in the market, a market that has been I, I, very constrained, very, I will use the word harsh over the years um, towards borrowers. And obviously, it's good to see that, 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 that this is type of development is happening. Yeah. Obviously, the central bank monitor everything these lenders are doing, and they're obviously quite happy with this. It doesn't mean that the Wild West has come back again where no, no, no. your money is thrown at you. But even at that, I mean, I was reading the Sunday Business Post on Sunday, and Bank of Ireland announced on Sunday that they are um, putting making available 2.5 billion euro for social and affordable homes out there so yeah they, they seem to have access to the money or they have the money and they want to let it out yeah well always remember one thing banks 
are not charitable organizations. We've seen that more than well in the past. And if they're making an investment in something, and if it's in an area that benefits society and is badly needed, that's great. But they are making money out of this. They're commercial organizations. They have to make money out of it. They're not charitable organizations. So I would welcome any move that would address a problem like that. Um, but always remember, they're making money out of it. Um, USA stock markets hit an all-time high. Yeah, stock markets have been powering ahead over the last few months. They're at an all-time high. Why is that? It's because there is an expectation that interest rates are going to fall um, in the US because the figures are showing that inflation is dropping and the same is happening in Europe. And the indications in Europe are that hopefully we will see interest rates start to fall in the next few months. And when, it, when stock markets see that type of possible development happening, and remember stock markets are prediction of the future. They're a bellwether of what will happen you know, 6, 12 months, 2 years down the road. Um, that shows that they, they believe there's confidence there. So I would just say also, sorry, the other thing I will just say is that the earnings from companies coming out now have been very, very strong. So it's all very, very, very positive despite political issues like Ukraine and what's happening mm. in, in, in Israel. But on one side you see the USA stock market hitting an all-time high. In Ireland you see the stock market is... Well, that's a, that's, that's a domestic issue, Keith. You know, I mean, the stock market in Ireland is just shrunk to such a size it's going to disappear, really. You know, just companies are going to list overseas. So mm-hmm. that's, that, that's, that's a totally separate issue. It's progress, perhaps, is it? Or is exactly. It, is it well. progress? Uh, recent ECB meetings hinted a possible reduction in interest rates in a few months. Yeah, that's what I just mentioned yeah. there now. You know, so Christine Lagarde is even being kind of making soundings. Even saying how much? No, well, that's the nature of the beast you're dealing with with these guys. You know, they will never, they will never make announcements of, of predictions about what way interest rates would go in terms of the, the size of the drops. But anything is welcome. Um, there was a recent survey, by the way, showing financial literacy in Ireland standing at fifty percent. What what does that statement mean? It means how astute are we when it comes to financial issues? So do we, do what we, does astute mean in financial issues? Clever. Are we wise? Are we? So you're saying that only 50% of the, of the population are clever and wise, the rest are reckless? Despite what we think we are. This is the issue. We, we think we know more than we actually do when it comes to financial issues. And this survey is saying that about half, half the people are as clever as they think they are. You know, do we know what we know? What do we mean by that? I know it sound, I sound a bit like George Bush here, you know, when he about some years yeah. ago this thing. I wasn't going right. to bring that back but basically you, yeah. we have an idea of how uh, astute we are when it comes to financial matters um, and, and, and like for example what are the three common mistakes that a lot of people make indecision mm-hmm. stuck in the moment not making a decision to go on with something an investment or so fear of making a mistake fear of making a decision and fear of uh, the unknown without educating yourself or getting advice yeah. The unknown is not something you should be fearful of if you get the right advice from the right Mm -hmm. person Mm -hmm. for your circumstances. The other one is thinking we know it all. This is a great thing in Ireland. We have this idea that we're incredibly knowledgeable. No, a lot of those people. A lot of that. I think it's a cultural thing. What would you want that for? We think we know it all about certain things. You know, I always describe the guy sitting in the stool in the pub 
back in the Celtic Tiger days, he was a property expert. Then in the recession, he was an economic expert. Now he's morphed into all sorts of guises. Meanwhile, really, he doesn't know the first thing about any of them, right? <laughs> so, don't name names. No, 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 no. He's no. just a typical, it's a bit yeah, like kind of like a Pat Short character. It's just be, a typical fellow sitting in a, a bar stool. Mm. So we do think we know it all, and that's dangerous. You know, I've come across people, with all due respect, you know, at times who think when I when I discuss something with them that they haven't come across before and they don't uh, they give you the throwback without really understanding what it is and why why is that a problem it's a problem because again you know you're you're not taking on board the information that's given to you you're making a decision without understanding it okay. and the other one is not taking advice you know, again... Now, why would I want to take advice? <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure, sure I know it all. That's the reaction. Well, if you think, if you think you put the three of them together and you get a, this is the nightmare person, he never makes a decision, he thinks he knows it all, and he doesn't want to take advice from anybody. And then he's probably the Equals same... disaster. And he's probably, he's also probably uh, uh, the doctor's worst nightmare because he goes into the doctor having Googled, what is that pain in my left knee? Um, in advance of the doctor making a diagnosis. So taking advice in financial matters, whatever it is, is extremely important. In the same way you take it, should take advice in legal matters, medical matters, and so on. Okay. You wouldn't build a house without having an engineer or an architect or somebody drawing it for you, would you? No. Exactly. Why, well, are, you then, look, why are you looking at me? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't build your... Don't make your financial future and build your financial future without taking advice. Yeah, okay. Job done. And uh, again, if you want to get further details, have the right advice, you can do so. Um, Dave McCarthy, McCarthy & Associates, um, you can contact them on 0915660022. Are you busy? Oh, yeah, it's very busy at the moment. Yeah, this is always a busy time of the year. So, yeah, not complaining. Keep it lit. Thank you for joining us uh, today on the uh, programme. Good few comments coming in. I'm just going to take a short commercial break, go through them, and I'll give them to you then from there. But Dave McCarthy of McCarthy & Associates, uh, thank you for joining us. So those three common financial mistakes that people make, indecision, thinking you know it all, and not taking financial advice. That's a lot of people I know. Oh, very good morning to you. An interesting uh, conversation we're going to have. I'm joined by the Managing Director of High Tech Health, Brian Harrison, and uh, they've been in existence for nearly 10 years. And they're the first company, indeed, in the uh, in the, in the country, indeed, uh, to get a licence that we're going to talk about. Uh, Brian, good morning to you. How are you today? Can I bring you in just a little bit in there altogether? Uh, 10 years in existence? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me on the call. 10 years, yeah. yeah. 10 years. And prior to that, I was working with a uh, big multinational Bristol Myers Quib for about 20 years. Wow, so you've been in that med tech for, for quite a while. So yeah, yeah, the pharmaceutical business pharmaceutical, for over 30 yeah. years, yeah. So you're, you're, I know you're based in on Spidgel, close to on Spidgel, and Tully as well, is it? Yeah, Every, and Tully, uh, two and Tullock, yeah, yeah out, in, out beside Tichy Gahar. Wow, wow. And exactly what do you, what do, you do in, in high tech? Uh, so we're focused on manufacturing medicines, new medicines for patients, so we help companies uh, to develop those medicines and then and then manufacture them. Uh, I suppose in Tully uh, specifically, we're very much focused on cell and gene therapies. So these are really modern uh, medicines working on human cells. So, uh, for example, a gene therapy, you, you can repair genes for rare disease patients. Uh, so it's really cutting edge medicine. Wow. And again,
again, I mean, so there, is there a long gestation period from when you start a project to when you finish a project and get it over the line? Yeah, many of our clients. So we have many clients that are what we call in preclinical development. So the products haven't even gone into patients yet. But from that stage through to a product uh, being prescribed could be a 10 year journey. So we, we're, it's a long, slow uh, process in a highly regulated environment. So, and, and you, are you the first? Uh, We're the first contractor. Uh, there's a, a large uh, Takeda have a cell therapy facility. They manufacture their own medicines there, but we're the first uh, commercial company to be licensed for manufacturing these um, these advanced medicines. In the country? In the country. That's a big statement, so it is. It's a big statement. These are... Like these, what we call advanced medicines, um, really are, they're only about 1% of total sales of medicines, but they're expected to grow to about 5% in the next 10 years. So it's a really hot uh, area. So, not like me now, but are you a very patient man then? You must be. Um, I really enjoy uh, working on medicines that can treat patients. So I've been lucky enough in my career to have... uh, been involved with developing patients for treating diseases like cancer, like hepatitis B, uh, like migraine. Um, so it's really, it is a fantastic feeling when you bring a new medicine to treat patients. Uh, would you would you be a scientist then? Yes, a scientist, a PhD chemist many, many years ago. Um, uh, and I had a great career, I suppose, uh, up to and including, I was an executive in the US with my with the multinational company before starting High Tech Health. But uh, really enjoying working, um, you know, and building building High Tech Health into a and very innovative company. And again, I mean, uh, have you many staff working with you? Uh, we've about thirty employees in total, and about twenty here in Galway. So yeah, we're growing. Wow. So and I mean, uh, you must be a very patient man because. It's not like as you can get up and make a ladder and sell that ladder this evening. This is a, this is a, a, a very slow process. It's a slow process. We we work. We don't uh, have any of our own medicines. We work with like a lot of medicines. Well over sixty percent of medicines are developed by university professors, and they mm-hmm. spin out companies. But those companies don't understand how to get a product manufactured in a very highly regulated environment. So we work with lots of those companies uh, on their journey, uh, both uh, providing our expertise. We have our research labs in, in out in Spiddle and now we have our new manufacturing facility as well. Uh, it, it, mass, it must be massive investment. I mean, if you take clean rooms like that, very expensive, yes. They're not cheap. Like, you don't just go down to, to, to your Higgins and pick one up and bring it home with you or to McDonald's. So this is an expensive... This is an expensive... You've got to think that the, the they're, they're, they're basically sterile facilities. So mm-hmm. you have to make sure that when you're growing cells, as we can do, um, that nothing else can grow. So because those cells that we grow in that clean room can go into a patient. Mm. So patients need to know um, you know that those those medicines are pure you know but I suppose we all um, well our, our, our forefathers and all that they all welcomed um, penicillin all those years ago um, as being a game changer 
just look how, look how far medicine has gone in that short space of time. Absolutely. Well, I'm old enough that I remember when, like about 30 years ago, most medicines were what we call pharmaceuticals. So they were made by chemicals. Mm. And then in the late 80s, early 90s, you had biologics and people said they were very expensive and wouldn't become standard of care. But now they are standard of care. And I believe that these cell and gene therapy products will become standard of care in the future. Because you're you're actually treating the root cause of the illness, you know. It's the and you're 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 not doing it with chemicals. We're not doing it with chemicals. No, we're we're uh, the starting point for our products would be cells taken from patients in in a hospital, for example, and we can take them then in our clean rooms. Uh, what we call expand them. So if if you take uh, thousands of cells, well, then you're giving back maybe millions of cells to. Uh, a very sick patients, but you're giving them healthy cells, so it's really a great opportunity for them to fight th- their illness. Please don't take offence, but this is so futuristic. I feel as if I'm sitting on this on the scene of Star Wars or something. It really is futuristic. It 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 is really exciting. I I do believe this is the future uh, of medicine because you're really you're you're getting to the root cause of the illness of the patient, and and that really is exciting to try and help them. Um, you know, how, treat their disease. And how quickly then can you see a difference in the patient? Well, for for example, and people could look at the Emily Whitehead on the web website, they have a foundation. So Emily was a, a patient um, who um, had a blood cancer and she had tried all of the regular treatments and she was given about six weeks, two months to live. And she was the first pediatric child patient to get a, a, a CAR-T treatment called Kimraya uh, back about 10 years ago. Uh, within a month, they took a sample of her blood and her cancer was cured. So one treatment uh, and she was cured. And now the, the same uh, lady, now woman, young woman, is in, is in college. So like this is, these, these medicines can be transformative. I suppose well, I'm listening to you with great interest, uh, Brian. Um, but um, there's other people listening to us out there as well today, perhaps in Radioland, and, and they're, they have somebody who's very sick and they're just wondering where the hope is for them. But this is an expensive process that perhaps not everybody can, can enter into. Yeah, these, these are uh, expensive medicines. But um, again, if I go back to biological medicines that first came to the fore about 30 years ago. The exact same comments were being made that people said these were going to be too expensive and would, would never become standard I suppose, medicines. I suppose I'm trying to manage expectations. If you have somebody there and they have, they have a son or a daughter and they have cancer and they're not going to be the Emilys of this world because unfortunately, or, 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 yeah. you know, do you understand where I'm coming from? That I'm, this, If there's somebody who's very ill in hospital currently and they feel that if they could get to Brian Harrison and get to high-tech health, it would be the cure-all for them. But yeah, well, I think we're, we're the manufacturers, I suppose, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The, the, like it is working with their consultants. But I do, yeah, I, I fully understand and, and accept that this, these medicines uh, will take a number of years before they become standard, mm. we say, medicines. And engineers and scientists will make them a lot cheaper. I have no doubt that that is the case. Wow. Um, and again, I mean, you just keep growing then from there, do you? That's, the company keeps growing. Well, we're, our, our plan is we're ambitious. We'd, we plan to expand. So we've just opened a new manufacturing license facility. So uh, once that's filled, which I am absolutely confident will be 
field working with these new medicines, then our goal is to expand further. And is it one or two or three uh, clean rooms you have? With three clean rooms in the in this new facility, <laughs> but we can do everything from you know storing the the materials to you know approving the product that's going to go into the patients. Wow, where can I get further details on what we're talking about? Because it's a great success story in the west coast of Ireland. Um, well, I suppose on our website we have uh, hightechhealth.com. Um, but there's lots of other resources. There's actually a website called cell, cell and gene therapy.com. It's a global website. Um, <clears throat> um, and there's other networks and organizations as well. The Alliance for Regenerative Medicine, for example, is a global mm. organization. So there's, Good there's, idea. there's, um, there's other sources, um, that can provide more information on these very, very exciting new medicines. Well done, I and mean, well done on getting, I mean, to get the licence, first in Ireland to get this licence, I mean, must, how, how long did it take you? Uh, it's a long journey, I suppose, between starting the design of the facility through to uh, the licence approval, three years approximately. It's a long time. Yeah. That's why you're so cool, Cam, and collect you all together. Not a, not a bother on you. Brian, lovely to have you in the studio, and thanks indeed uh, for, and uh, keep us fully informed, please, um, moving forward as well, but it's, um, it's, it's a great story, and to have it on the west coast of Ireland... A lot of these stories start on the east, but uh, Gal- Galway is at the cutting edge. Yeah, delighted to be here, and thanks very much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Quick commercial break, come more back just after these. A very good morning to you. No, very good morning to you. Let me go to Miolo Canadio, who sits opposite me today. He's co-founder of Cora Bio Partnership, and um, Tielcha, indeed, is a programme. It's going to be on TG Cahar tonight at 9.30pm. And um, you're, you're part of this, so you are, but th- we're looking at flooding here, so we are... We are looking at flooding, Keith, yeah. Tilter is the Irish word for floods. And the programme was made by a company from Derry, but they looked at the impact of flooding in different parts of Ireland, down in um, the Spanish Arch area here in Galway, as we're only too familiar with, and the Corrib, and that's how I got involved. But also they talked to community groups in Donegal and Inishowan. They've had a lot of problems with flooding up there, Monaghan, and even in Belfast. And so the question really is, what might community groups do? And so one of the themes coming out is this idea of nature-based solutions to mm. flooding. You know, But again, it's, it's, um, I think we've all seen places that have never flooded, now flooding. Um, I know you spoke about a building that you were in earlier, but I mean, just even around here, the Scar Park, like, there's a river down there, so there is, but um, when we came here first back in 1989, 88, 89, behind here never flooded now if there's heavy rain over morning you'd want your wellingtons to get across the yard do you know that kind of way so it's 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 affecting everywhere it is so there's two things really behind that i suppose keith one of them is the fact that the rainfall is heavier and is more frequent and we know that the climate itself is changing so we're getting more intense bursts of rain or storminess and that's part of climate change but as well as that then and it's linked with it of course what have we done to the surrounds here in Galway? Mm. If you think about it, the last century or century and a half since the famine, massive drainage around East Galway, around the Clare River. And so the water is coming to the sea and to the cities faster. At the same time as the storms and the tides are pushing up the levels from the sea. So the two things are really an issue, of a threat for cities and towns along the coast of Ireland, Galway, Limerick, Tralee, Cork, Wexford, they were all built by people a thousand years ago to be at the banks of rivers on the mouth of the sea, you know, and they're all very vulnerable now. 
It's very true because, I mean, there's a huge, um, on the Clare River, there's a huge job done over the last long number of years. So that's bringing more water into the Weir in Galway. That's putting more water out to the sea and that water has to go somewhere. So when you when you say it in those very simple terms, um, it's very realistic. It is. We probably have been lulled, I suppose, in Ireland into thinking that climate change, yes, it's happening around the world and it's happening in Africa and so on and so forth. But actually, the reality is we're not immune uh, we have it here too, even the last few weeks, the month of February has been the warmest February ever anywhere in the world on record. And we've seen that here too in Ireland. The flowers are coming out earlier. So that impact means then more storminess, more rainfall. And so as a country, we have to learn, like for example, one of the things that comes out in this programme tonight is you can't expect the OPW and the government to put in walls everywhere around the country where there's flooding. And there's a lot of need for flood relief, but that's not the full answer. You can't do that. What, what is the answer? Well, part of the answer is we have to stop the way we're draining the land and we have to go back to slowing the actual flow of small streams and rivers. So in the programme tonight, I hope people will watch it, look at it in, in a show, and they're putting in these small little micro dams using just a couple of logs of wood up in the hills and we can do that in other parts of Ireland too. We can do it in Connemara to put back the water courses the way they were and slow down the rivers getting to the sea. And then less actual of, let's say, concreting over nature. Mm. Brendan Smith, whom you know, Speedy, is a great man here oh, around Sandy Row for protecting the Terryland yeah. River and Terryland Forest Park. We need those green spaces. You talked about it this morning on the radio. Frank Fahey is right. We need more green spaces, not more concrete, and slowing down the flow. So tonight, then, um, you'll be sitting down with your popcorn, I take it. <laughs> Askelga, yes. Askelga. <laughs> and uh, again, you'll be uh, watching Tielta, isn't that how I pronounce Tielta. it? Tielta. And there's subtitles, Keith, so obviously people uh, can watch it even if they're not fluent, but the visuals are great and the stories are good, so I'd recommend it half nine tonight. All right, listen, well done to you. Thanks, Annie, for joining us, and uh, good to, thanks to you indeed for uh, popping into us uh, today. 9.30, from your phone, if you've got the Sky app, what you can do now is just set the record. Uh, on that for TG Car tonight, 9.30, Wednesday, 21st of Feb. Amy Hall, good to see you again and thanks, Eddie, for uh, joining us today in the programme. Quick commercial break. We're back just after these. A very good morning to you. Morning and a very good morning to you. Welcome into today's programme. Uh, I want to go to uh, a fascinating story that has come across our desk uh, today, I have to say. A really fascinating story that has come across our desk uh, today. It's called The Keepers of the Sacred um, Flame. And I just want to do one thing here, if you don't mind. Bear with me one second, and then I can do everything that I want to do. Uh, but I want to go indeed to Dr. Brona and McShane of Trinity College Dublin because Keepers of the Sacred Flame, uh, Brides of Christ, is going to, it's a wonderful event taking place on the 6th of March. The Benedictine Nuns will host a one-day symposium at uh, Kylemore Abbey there as well. And I'm joined on the line indeed by Dr. Brona and um, McShane. Uh, morning to you. How are you today? Hi, good morning, Keith. Great, good to talk to you. This is going to be a wonderful event, by the way, and this is a free event, I'm told, as well. And they can register an Eventbrite uh, from there. And it's taking place on the 6th of March. We're looking at monastic, li monastic life altogether. Yeah, absolutely. So the event takes place in Kylemore Abbey on the 6th of March, which is two weeks from today. Um, and the symposium will be about the history of nuns and women's monastic life um, from the medieval period right up until the end of the 17th century. Um, so um, included as part of the symposium, we will have a book launch 
of the book titled Brides of Christ, um, which was published in 2023 by Four Courts Press and which included an introduction um, written um, by the former abbess of Calmar Abbey, Mother Moira Hickey. And Mother Moira Hickey will also launch the book at the symposium on the 6th of March in Calmar Abbey. And as I say, it's hosted by Calmar Abbey in association with the University of Notre Dame's Calmar Abbey Global Centre. It's a free event, um, but uh, advanced registration is necessary um, and you can ad- register via Eventbrite if you go to Eventbrite and search the words, the words Keepers of the Sacred Flame. Um, you can register for free online or alternatively you can email uh, development at kylemoreabbey.ie. So really the symposium is just a day to reflect on the importance of the history of uh, female religious and women's monastic life, um, as I say, from the medieval to the early modern, from the 5th until the 17th century, and a range of exciting speakers, um, and also, as I say, the launch of the book Brides of Christ. Uh, we had the um, Polish ambassador, indeed, uh, to Ireland in months earlier on, and he was speaking about Kylemore Abbey. He was also speaking about uh, Glenstall Abbey that I'll be going to shortly. Um, but it's um, isn't it just fascinating and, and I'm fascinated by it but I love the sisters I love the Benedictine sisters um, in Conmore Abbey and they're just wonderful people so they are but going back as far as you're going to monastic life and starting like that it's going to be very interesting for people Absolutely and you, you know you mentioned Glenstall Abbey and two of the co-editors um, of the book The Brides of Christ book are both monks of Glenstall Abbey in County Limerick Colmon O'Clawbig um, and Martin Brown uh, together with myself and Tracy Collins we were all involved in, in co-editing the book and so we've worked closely with the Benedictine monks in, in Glenstall Abbey to do that but also with the Benedictine nuns in Kylemore um, you know who celebrated their 100 year anniversary um, right. of being at Kylemore Abbey in 2020 um, so they have a very long history very long presence at Kylemore which is obviously a spectacular um, location for the event to, to take place and a very fitting um, a, a location for the event to take place and we're, we're really um very grateful to to Kyle Moore and indeed to the University of Notre Dame's Absolutely. Global Centre. Stay with me if you don't mind, Brona and McShane. I want to go to Coleman O'Clabby, indeed, Dr. Coleman O'Clabby, and OSB is in a, and the monk indeed from Glenstall Abbey. And uh, good morning to you. Thanks indeed for joining us uh, today on good the Good morning to you. Thank you, thank you yeah. so much for do, having me. Do I call you Brother Coleman or do I call you Coleman or do I call you Doctor? Or what would you like uh, me to Coleman, call you? Coleman, 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 I'm much more comfortable with. Well, listen, it's good to have you, and it's it's quite quite ironic that the Polish um, ambassador spoke so fondly about Glenstall Abbey and Kyle Moore today, and have two representatives, indeed, uh, of an event taking place there. It's just stunningly wonderful. Yes, yes indeed, a sort of a, a, a very serendipitous um, uh, occasion. He was he was actually down here last week himself. He so was, yeah. He's doing, he's doing a, a benediction roadshow at the moment. He certainly is, and loving it, so he is from there. But again, you, you, I mean, you're 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 looking at an a time scale. I think it's lovely to go back in history like this uh, with the book, The Brides of Christ. I really do think that it's um, it's it's a lovely thing to do. Yes, it was. Well, it was something that was. Um, uh, I discussed the uh, the the nuns in Calgary more a couple of years back, um, and we felt that there was a a real need to sort of uh, showcase. Uh, what work was being done in um, uh, church on female monasticism at the moment, and particularly by people like uh, uh, Tracy Collins and Brown in speaking to you uh, there, um, and just to um, to sort of shed a spotlight, as it were, on the experience of these remarkable women 
uh, and uh, the the life that they embraced at various stages, mm. the early Middle Ages right through to um, to the present, indeed. Um, and I think there's a real interest in this. I think the uh, uh, the interest surrounding, for instance, the new holiday for St. Bridget's Day yes. uh, is um, uh, indicative of that, you know, um, a way of celebrating uh, contributions to... Uh, to society and to the church uh, in Ireland and can uh, I get, over all those centuries. Can I ask you, Colin, because we had um, Father Eamon Conway on from Australia today about a major event taking place in Knock uh, next week, indeed, about the faith and all of that. But when you look at women and the monastic life going back, were the churches more giving, um, I'm not just talking about Catholic church, were they more giving, indeed, of the support of the women in monastic life than perhaps we are now? Well, I think the uh, the, the the monastic uh, the framework of monastic life um, in all its uh, stages um, allowed women a, a uh, an opportunity to flourish and to exercise their talents um, in a way that very often wasn't um, open to them in in secular society. You know that. Um, um, uh, members of religious communities and particularly superiors of religious communities in the medieval and the early modern period were, were very much forces and powers to be reckoned with. Mm. Um, uh, so I think that, that monasticism did provide that space um, as it did into the, the, the 19th and, and, and the 20th century as well. And um, it's great that we'll have uh, Professor Deirdre Raftray from UCD uh, contributing to the uh, symposium in Kyle Moore as well because this is very much her area of expertise. Wow. Um, I just want to go back, and bear with me if you don't mind, if you don't mind. I want to go back to Brona. Brona, what, what timescales are we looking at indeed for the event? Uh, so the event uh, begins at 10 o'clock in the morning um, and it continues then on until um, 5.30 in the evening. So um, it's it's a whole day event, um, as I say, combining both the symposium where there will be presentations by several speakers, myself, Coleman included, but also, as Coleman mentioned, uh, Tracy Collins, dear Giraffe of UCD, and also we're very delighted that uh, Professor Amy Mulligan from the University of Notre Dame in the US will also um, be participating as one of our speakers so we're, we're very much looking forward to having her with us on the day um, and then as I say it will culminate then with the launch of the book uh, which will be led by um, Mother Moira Hickey um, so yeah a really fantastic opportunity I suppose to reflect on an important aspect of women's history that is is quite often um, overlooked in scholarship and, and that really was the impetus for the reduction of the book in the first place. And will the book be, it'll be sold on the day and sold afterwards, I take it from there then, will it? Yeah, absolutely. There will be copies available for sale at the launch on the day, um, but the, the book is also available for sale on the Four Courts uh, Press website. Um, so anybody interested in purchasing a copy can um, look on the, the Four Courts Press website where it is where it is available. And Colin, how long did it take you to, um, to finish edi- editing it? It was, well, the whole process was quite wrong. Um, gone out because of COVID, so the, the conference on which it was based um, uh, took place online and um, I'd say the, the, it, 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 certainly the, the complications of COVID and not being able to uh, meet up with each other probably added a, a, a good year to the editorial process, so I said we were working on it from beginning to end for about, for about three and a half years. 
Well done. Congratulations uh, to all involved in it. And uh, thank you both for joining us. And again, 6th of March, it's a free event. So it is just go to Eventbrite and get further details uh, from there. Uh, but it is a free event. But thank you so much for joining us both today. And uh, thank you for joining us. So can I thank Dr. Brona uh, and McShane and Dr. Coleman or Clabby as well for joining us uh, today on the uh, programme. Um, that's nearly it for today. But just to let you know what's coming up on the show tomorrow morning. Uh, on tomorrow morning's programme, uh, we will have the following a senator calling for a short and long term solution uh, to the Killeen Bends on the N59, uh, where uh, offers peer to peer support for adults experiencing depression, bipolar disorder, and anxiety and related mood conditions. And uh, the Connect Tribune headlines will have Dave O'Connell on that. We'll have a fundraising for Clonbur Community Centre as well. Uh, that's taking place, uh, so it is uh, tomorrow. We'll have uh, Pet Talk. The pets won't be talking to me. We'll be talking about pets. Uh, Culture Corner, indeed, with Linda Marin and uh, Last Chance in Paris, a great book indeed uh, that was read over the weekend. Hours to Protect, we'll be looking at solar, solar panels and Music Mornings with well, Sabrina Fallon joining us on that. So all of that and more uh, tomorrow morning. That is it. Um, that is it for today. Uh, Roman is going to be with you in less than a minute, so he is because uh, I'm just going straight to the sick tune. And let's do this and this. <laughs> That is it for today. Ronan is up next. Thank you to John Morley who produced. And also indeed to all the crew who took your comments. Uh, Fiona and the crew who took your comments. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning just after the 9 o'clock news. Have yourselves a good and a very safe Wednesday. We look forward to your company again tomorrow morning. Stand by. News is next with Ronan and the crew. Bye-bye.